Stay warm at the Horseshoe this season. Score an exclusive, officially licensed Ohio State scarf when you subscribe to the Columbus Dispatch. Get the planet's best Buckeye coverage, award-winning reporting, and one amazingly cozy scarf by subscribing at dispatch.com slash scarf. This promotion is licensed by the Ohio State University. Trademarks used with permission. From the public affairs staff of the Columbus Dispatch, this is Buckeye Forum. Hello and welcome to Buckeye Forum. This is Alan Johnson. I'm here with my colleague, Andrew Kuyper from uh, Kent. Is that where you're from? Yes, sir. Kent. Kent State. Our fine, fine, multi-talented intern in the Dispatch Public Affairs section. And today we're going to be talking about a couple hot-button topics. Um, One of them would be medical marijuana and the other one would be guns. So we're going to start out with Andrew discussing a little bit about the gun legislation that has uh, recently uh, passed uh, one house and he covered it in the uh, House Committee and as well um, on the floor. So, Andrew, tell us a little bit about our legislators are up to with guns right now. Absolutely. Uh, so this is a really wild time to be covering Ohio politics. Um, just recently, House Bill 233, uh, affectionately dubbed the Defend Act, uh, passed the House and it heads to the Senate for further approval. Um, and this is an act that would that would help concealed carry holders avoid guilt for carrying onto gun-free zones, um, provided they leave promptly and don't return with a handgun for 30 days. Um, this has raised a lot of opposition. Um, a really broad, eclectic group of uh, of allies have come together to oppose this. Everyone from, you know, uh, small business owners to the FOP to the Sheriff's Association to the Prosecutors Association to Moms Demand Action, they've all kind of unified in in opposition of this bill. Um, and you know, this is one of this is one of several bills that have been, that have come through the House this year. Um, there have been three others. Uh, one would be House Bill 201. Um, dubbed constitutional carry by supporters and dubbed a bad idea by opponents. Um, essentially, it would say that if you're over 21 and not prohibited by law, you could carry a gun anywhere you wanted and you don't need to go through any concealed carry training. You don't need to grab a license, anything like that. You can just carry a weapon on you at all times. Um, and the other one that that has uh, kind of gained some steam is House Bill 142, and that would remove the requirements for a concealed carry holder to notify a, an officer during a during a traffic stop that he has a weapon on him. Um, and especially this has become a little bit of a hot button issue after the uh, shooting of Philando Castile. So tell me a little bit more about the specific bill that just recently passed the House. You are not allowed, they're gun-free zones, as you say, you're not technically allowed to bring a gun into a school, a daycare, a police station, some of these other places, yet this bill would allow you to do that and then you would be okay unless they tell you to leave. Is that how it works? Right, right. Uh, So this bill proposed by Representative John Becker, um, basically it makes the the gun-free 
these zone, the gun-free zone signs uh, null and void, right? It doesn't necessarily allow you to, but it removes all prohibitive penalties um, that are currently codified in law. So, so you could really you could do this, and as long as you leave and, and you're not a, not a jerk about it, as John Becker says, uh, as long as you do that, there's no there's no penalty. Um, and currently, right now, for carrying a gun into one of these prohibited zones, like a hospital, uh, like a K through 12 school, like a police station, um, it, it's a felony offense. Uh, if the if the prosecutors choose to pursue that, um, and this would this would remove that. Um, so it's it's all, but it all depends on the voluntary willingness of the person when asked to leave that they do leave. That's the crux of it. Yeah, yeah. It just that just that he calls it the jerk clause. As long as they leave without a hassle and don't return with a gun to the same property for thirty days. Um, then they're then they're free and clear with no legal penalties. So the devil's advocate makes me ask, what if they are a jerk? Uh, then then I guess the prosecution reserves the right. It's a little unclear, right? This has been some of the some of the dissenting points. Is that is that there, there's a, the language of the of the bill is kind of vague in saying whether someone knowingly or unknowingly carries a gun onto this property, and also the penalties associated with that if they don't leave or if they are a jerk um, are still a little unclear. So that was. Uh, that drew some opposition from some lawmakers and, and the prosecuting associate, prosecuting attorneys association. And uh, tell us about what has law enforcement said about this. What is their position? Uh, law enforcement opposes it. Um, the FOP they say that it makes uh, police stations, it makes officers' jobs more dangerous. Um, the prosecuting, prosecuting attorneys association they they have qualms with uh, some of the nuances of the language. Um, but yeah, for the most part, the sheriffs' associations, law enforcement associations, uh, chiefs of police associations—they all oppose it um, on on the grounds of safety. And have you? This has passed the House. Have you assessed its future in the Senate? Uh, I, I expect it to become law, as does John Becker. Um, he said he's going to continue working with senators um, to revise some of the language so that it has a better chance of passing. Um, so I, I think it'll become law. I think it'll reach the governor's desk. And there was a lot of, I think, from your story, from the hearing, there was a lot of opposition testimony. Was it mainly the law enforcement and the prosecutors, or were there individuals or, or other organizations that were opposed to it who spoke out against it? Certainly. There were there were private business groups that, that had strong opposition to this. They said that it trampled on the rights of private property owners, um, that, it, that it essentially makes them unable to assert their right to have a gun-free zone because it removes all prohibitive penalties. Um, so yeah, there was a there was a broad coalition of reasons why people opposed this. So with this, I see a lot of restaurants that say you're you know, concealed carry not allowed here. Would it over wouldn't overrule that, but it would mean that you could do it and if you were asked to leave, you would have to leave, but it would allow it to happen otherwise. Would that work that way? It wouldn't necessarily allow it, but it wouldn't make it wouldn't illegal. penalize it. Yeah, it wouldn't penalize it and it would put the burden on burden of confrontation on the manager, the employee, mm -hmm. people who are not trained to deal with people carrying guns. It would put the burden of confrontation on them to ask them to leave when they realize they have a concealed weapon in a space where they're not supposed to. Okay, well, we'll follow that.
The other thing that was happening of prominence this week, well, several things actually, including the budget, of course, but medical marijuana, which has been signed into law a year ago by Governor Kasich, uh, and it is now in the process of approving the people who will grow medical marijuana. There's going to be 12 large-scale growers, 12 small-scale growers, and this week the state, after initially saying they would not release the uh, names of the growers, did in fact release the names of the growers, although not in most cases their addresses or their location. So we have 185 applicants, 109 of them want to grow the larger scale uh, marijuana fields uh, indoor, which would be 25,000 square feet, possibly up to 75,000. Uh, uh, and the other um, uh, 76 are for this much smaller three, to, I believe 6,000 square feet marijuana. So we We've got uh, a whole lot of them, and there are 18 or 19, it's a little unclear, that have been approved in Columbus. Uh, and when I say approved, I mean by the zoning officials. Uh, so what happens now is the state looks at these 185 applicants across the state. Uh, as I say, there's 18 or 19 of them in Columbus itself, and then many in other parts of the state. And they uh, look at them and say, do they meet their does their application meet the qualifications in terms of finances, in terms of security, in terms of a growing plan, in terms of the ability to produce marijuana for medical marijuana, and um, all of this then leading up to somebody's eventually got to plant the crop, somebody's got to harvest the crop, process it, and then put it in the 60 or so dispensaries that are going to be around the state. So medical marijuana is coming to Ohio, uh, and it will be coming, uh, it has to be here by law, by September of 2018. So there's 15 or so months, 14 months, I guess, until medical marijuana could be in the hands of actual patients. So um, it's quite a quite a process and interesting to look at uh, some of the uh, applicants and some of their names and and so forth. There's uh, the uh, there's one about ganja farms. There's some others that uh, uh, Mother Grows Best, uh, Pure Medical Company, Structural Gardens, Earth Philosophy, Ohio Clean Leaf, Ohio Relief, uh, Med, Med Trees Incorporated. There's, as I say, 185 people or organizations that want to grow marijuana for what is presumed to be a multi-million dollar market in Ohio uh, starting next year. So, Alan, I have to ask, you know, how soon until Ohioans are seeing uh, the patients are able to access access the pot that they're prescribed? Well, uh, you would like to think it would be before September 18, September of 2018, but the way things are going, I would really doubt that because we're right now, uh, they're assessing, grading, scoring, and picking the 24 growers, and then they have to actually set up their growing facility. Uh, they have to provide security for it. They have to get employees. They have to get the seeds. They have to plant the crops, harvest the crops. Then it has to be processed, inspected, and then there have to be dispensaries, shops created around the state. So. Um, actually, I'll be amazed if it happens by September 2018 because that's a that's a pretty short window to go from ground up of nothing to uh, product in the hands of Ohio uh, patients. 
And I should say that, that the law as written and passed by the legislature, signed by the governor, allows for people to get a recommendation, not a prescription, but a recommendation from a physician for medical marijuana for any of 21 conditions, including intractable or very severe pain. So you can get that recommendation from a physician if your physician is willing to do it. But uh, to answer your question, uh, uh, it's going to be September of next year before that could even possibly happen. And, and what of some of these cities like, like Akron, who just recently um, approved medical marijuana growing in their city? Are they late to the game? Do they have no chance? What? Well, I don't know that that really matters at this point. It's going to be more of how the applicants in Akron or Columbus or Cincinnati or Cleveland or Toledo, how they stack up compared to the others. Uh, the state hired three different companies, one from Dublin, Ohio, one from Illinois, and one from Colorado to rate and score these applications. So they're going to go through the whole process to see if they've got the financial wherewithal to do it, if they can put it all together, and then they will pick the 24 lucky, or I guess, if you will, uh, uh, entrepreneurs that will be growing the marijuana. So um, it's it's a long process and, and I, the one thing I should say at the, at the end of the process the product can be vaped but it can't be smoked in Ohio. That's part of the law. You can vape it, you can take it in an oil form, you can take it in a patch form or a variety of edibles. Um, so there's going to be several different options but we've got a long way to go to actually get to a product because right now we don't have a facility picked or a plant in the ground. And you, so just to, just to kind of reaffirm that, this will only be for derivatives of medical marijuana. This won't be actual plant product. Yeah, they, they can have the plant product, but they can't smoke the plant product. So you have to, you, you probably see all the stores around the state now that are vaping. And uh, uh, so you could vape it, in other words, uh, put it in some sort of a solution or however that works to vaporize the marijuana and, and in that fashion. But as far as lighting up your bong or rolling it up in a cigarette, that's just not going to happen. That's not the way medical marijuana will work in Ohio. So we've got a couple uh, things on the horizon. We obviously have had the budget, which was just passed, and vetoes were uh, issued by the legislature, and the Senate will have to come back and decide whether they want to uphold the vetoes approved by the House or uphold the governor. And here's Ohio State House reporter Jim Siegel to talk about the 11 vetoes approved by the Ohio House and what happens next. Hello, and welcome to Budget Veto Override Day here at the State House. Um, basically, today the Ohio House met, and for the first time in, I believe it's about 40 years, the legislature is taking a serious crack at overriding uh, Governor John Kasich's vetoes, and any governor's vetoes, frankly, back that far, um, of the state, of uh, things that he tried to take out of the state budget. Um, this, uh, the, the, big, the big question coming into today was, will, would the legislature, would the House vote to override a veto that uh, aimed at uh, the, the Medicaid expansion population, which is about 700,000 people in Ohio? Uh, there, was a, there was a provision put in uh, by the legislature that would have, would have frozen that expansion. And long story short, eventually a lot of people would have ended up falling off of med the Medicaid expansion and would not have qualified for it anymore. Uh, but the governor vetoed that. Uh, he believes the expansion is very important uh, to things like the drug treatment issue. 
Uh, the legislature, there's been a lot of talk ever since he did that, that they would try to come back and override that uh, and, and basically freeze, freeze the expansion population starting in 2018. Uh, the House, in fact, did not take that vote. Uh, Speaker Rosenberger said, though, Speaker Rosenberger said they have the votes. He said, we, we can do this if we want to, but we're just choosing not to right now for uh, whatever reasons they've decided. Um, there have been other discussions that I've heard that have said, well, maybe they didn't quite have the votes or it was a little clo too close for comfort. At any rate, that did not occur. However, they did go ahead with 11 veto overrides. Now, that's an amazing number of veto overrides when you're talking about a Republican-controlled legislature overriding the vetoes of a Republican governor. Like I said, I don't think, I don't think we've had uh, multiple veto overrides of a budget for, it's, it's, I, I'm told it dates back to the mid-70s. Um, so so th this is really unusual for this to occur. Uh, and it does show that there is definitely some animosity that has built up between the Republican legislature and the governor over the years, uh, particularly on issues like Medicaid. Uh, most of the most of the things that were that the the House did approve for override today were related to Medicaid. Uh, they didn't do the freeze, but they did a number of other things. Uh, they they made sure that the uh, the governor has to come to the controlling board, a legislative spending panel, and make sure that he, they have to ask the controlling board to spend about two hundred thirty million dollars. Uh, in order to pay for Medicaid programs, pay for the expansion. Uh, there is a state share to that, and this is basically their legislature's way to require the administration to come in and explain why they need the money and what they're doing with it. Um, there, was, uh, the, there was about $200 um, million dollars that the... Uh, no, I'm sorry, that's about two hundred thirty million dollars. Sorry, that's sorry. I've got a big list in front of me. If you want to, see. it's it's a lot of a lot of vetoes today. Uh, about two hundred thirty million dollars that is going to nursing homes, um, because the legislature and the governor for years have butted heads over nursing homes. The governor has tried very hard to crack down on uh, on on nursing homes, uh, increase accountability, and and uh, kind of ratchet down their funding. Uh, the legislature has long been much more of a nursing home friendly place, and this is showing up again, they, there's a $237 million rate increase that the governor vetoed that the legislature is now trying to put back in. Um, the problem with a lot of these issues is that there's a, uh, uh, the, the, the uh, bu state budget director, Tim Keene, is saying that, oh, by the way, the, the, the budget the legislature passed is already $1.4 billion short of what they need to fund the Medicaid program. Now, this, this will, they're arguing this is going to be a big problem, obviously, $1.4 billion. Um, however, I, I, I do know that there are some in the legislature who believe that the case administration has long exaggerated what it needs for Medicaid and has often come in short of the actual, uh, what they've, their spent, actual spending has come in well under what they've estimated. So they, they're not as concerned about it at, at this point. However, uh, the, the case administration is saying that because of the budget times we're in at the moment, which is a lot worse than we've seen in recent years, that that, those Medicaid, the, that that Medicaid cushion that, yes, at one time was much bigger is much smaller now. And that $1.4 billion is eventually going to lead them to have to do rate cuts for hospitals, for, other, for, for providers, for home health care, and, and others who get Medicaid payments. They're going to see rate cuts. Nursing homes will not. Uh, there's that specific language in the budget that says nursing homes can't be cut. 
cut. And that, that actually was part of one of the veto overrides today. So uh, the administration is not happy about that. They think there's, there's some big problems with the way this budget is structured right now. And they're, they're worried that this is eventually going to lead to a lot of uncertainty and some chaos in the Medicaid program, a program that serves about 3 million Ohioans. So we'll see how that, how that works. The Senate is yet to take this up. They may come back next week. They may come back later in the summer to try to take up these vetoes. Uh, but we, are, we have not yet heard exactly what their plans are going to be. But if they, like I said, if they in fact do go through with it and also approve them, this will be the first veto overrides we've seen in a long time. We'll be uh, watching these things closely in the next uh, few weeks or months. Um, Andrew, thank you for uh, lending your expertise on the guns issue. And uh, remember, uh, Buckeye Forum is at dispatch.com. It's 